Trek Geeks Podcast Network is proud to have Fansets as its presenting sponsor. Fansets is the home for amazing pin collectibles with over 400 officially licensed Star Trek pins and new releases every month. Stay tuned for a special discount code worth 10% off your next order at fansets.com. Fansets, our pins have character. General Picard, President Hansen, and Colonel Rios. Where exactly did our crew end up? Let's take a ride on the CSS World Razor into Dystopia and find out what's going on. I'm Mike Bovia, and this is Discovering Trek Picard. Thanks for joining us on Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Universe Companion, presented by Fansets. Well, if episode one of Star Trek Picard made us all step back and go, wow, episode two surely made us all go, wow. There's a lot to talk about from this episode, so let me introduce my partners in crime. Every time I look up, it seems there's a new episode of Deep Space Pride publishing, and somehow he finds the time to record with us here, too. This is the hardest working man on the network, Mike Thurlow. I don't know how you do it, Mike, because I have a hard time just doing the one. I'm not sure either, and I'm going to add a third one, non-Trek related, uh, starting this week. So, uh, yes, uh I'm slowly building my uh, podcast uh, entrepreneurial Empire. future. Empire, <laughs> I was going to yes. say Empire. Yeah. <laughs> Empire was the word I had. Confederation. Oh, your, yes, your, my, uh, Mike, yeah, that's Confederation. Right. Yes. He's, and Mike, Mike is the general. <laughs> well, well, our next co-host is working on getting accustomed to land again after spending what looked like to be a glorious time on the Star Trek cruise. Uh, but unfortunately, she has some cruise cred as well. Sabrina, sorry about your voice. How you doing? I'm doing fine. So don't tell everybody. This is how I normally sound. Totally nasal. Uh, that That's fine. I definitely have my nights where I have the Kleenex right by my microphone. And, you know, you get you get that great hacking sensation where you have to make sure that you hit the mute button. Enough. That's enough. Enough. Mike. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the peek behind the curtain. <laughs> And of course, uh, I would be remiss to not introduce the Picard to my cue, Jamie Rogers. Wow. <laughs> hey. I don't even know where to go with that one. Well, I I, I am the slap him. I am yeah, can I can I punch you in the face <laughs> and like oh, that was, a you're, not, you're not Cisco, man. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, no, he, he slapped Picard in the face in this episode. That's what I'm but saying. But you're Picard. Uh, that's oh. right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had to find a way to at least equal last week, if not top it. Yeah. If be. you missed it, if you missed it, Sabrina, I said that Jamie wished that he was the love child of Laris and Picard. <laughs> you, you know, what's you know, what's so funny is I got so many messages on social media about that. 
you know, people just did you really? I, I actually did. Yeah. <laughs> the love child wow. of Laris and Picard. Ha ha. You know, so. nice. So speaking of social media, a reminder that this um, if you'd like to follow the show on social media, you can find us at discovering Trek, or you can join the conversation on Camp Kittimer. All you have to do is answer a few simple questions and our admins, Haley, Jackie, and Fark will let you in. And this is a reminder that this episode of Discovering Trek provides spoilers for the Picard episode Penance. If you have not watched already, head over to Paramount Plus, watch the episode, and then head back and listen to us. Otherwise, your failure to do so leaves you open to spoilers. Episode 2 of Star Trek Picard, Penance, aired March 10th, 2022. It was written by Akiva Goldsman, Terry Metalis, and Christopher Monfett, and directed by Doug Arniakoski. Picard finds himself transported to an alternate timeline in the year 2400, where his longtime nemesis Q has orchestrated one final trial. Picard searches for his trusted crew as he attempts to find the cause of this dystopian future. So, esteemed panel, whoever would like to go first, thumbs up or thumbs down, and why is it that way for you? Well, I'd like to go first. I'm going to say thumbs up, and I think it's an interesting take on the broken timeline, and to me, it kind of has wisps of city on the edge of forever where you have this one event causing catastrophic consequences like the city on the edge of forever basically had the Germans winning the war and, and, and all that, all that stuff. So it does have feels of a mirror universe, but it's not totally a mirror universe. Um, and you know, I really, when I was watching this episode, I really felt like I was watching the hunger games, you know, and it really kind of, brought me back which i love the hunger games don't get me wrong and i love that those kind of dystopian type movies so to me i i give it a thumbs up because it was really enjoyable and i i loved all the color patterns and the color schemes the grays the darks the lighting um so to me it was an overall very enjoyable episode okay mike you're next because i'm saying so (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting for you to go. Um, I give this two big thumbs up. Uh, This uh, was a refreshing take on the dystopian um, genre, I'll say. Uh, This was fun and different. It was scary. It was dark. Uh, I I mean, they went really dark. uh, And... And I really appreciated that. And on top of that, I thought the acting was phenomenal. Not that it was not that episode it was great in episode one, but for me, uh, this future felt ex- extremely believable uh, from the look and feel of everything uh, to the way that the characters outside of our main cast acted, as well as how, especially how um, Patrick and Jerry adapted to this new world and were able to play it off really well. Um, I also have to say that I I really liked Girardi in this uh, episode, which is saying a huge lot because uh, she's not my favorite character, but I really did enjoy her 
in this episode. And uh, yeah, I'm uh, I am really nervous about what's next. I, I you know I know obviously this continues, but I, I'm really wondering how they're going to get out of this. So uh, I'm looking forward to uh, to this next episode, episode three. So uh, I'm 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 in for the for the journey here. <laughs> A long haul. Okay, so I guess that just leaves me. Oh my! I give it a thumbs up, um, but for different reasons. I mean, I like. I am not a dystopian lover, you know. I am not that that fan, but um, I, I like this whole idea of the whole crew of La Serena being thrown back, not just one person. And did that whole trying to find each other, I thought that was really great when they were, they were realizing that they were all back there together and like what was going on, that they weren't just having some mental breakdown. Um, I, I find this surprisingly violent, you know, and I, the original Picard, what I was thinking was going to happen, was we were going to have this, you know, the first episodes, we had this whole thing about love and what he should have done and all this stuff. And then the next thing I know, you know, we're shooting everybody and wow. Everything's popping off. I was like, wait a minute. What about the, the threat about he him never loving anybody? Are we going to go back to that? And there's still more to put down. It's it's getting very confusing for me. Because put, quite frankly, I don't know. You know, the past is bad and the present is bad. So I don't really know why you're going back to fix anything because you're going to die in the present anyway. So what is going on? <laughs> so I, I, I'm just absolutely just like, what? And it's, it looks fantastic. But I'm hoping that these threads, are, I know they're going to make sense. But right now, there's just a lot of stuff just going on. It's just throwing stuff up on that screen. And it's just, okay, I'm hoping something sticks. We still haven't even got to Brent Spiner coming in yet. Right. So here's a whole nother layer of stuff that's got to get explained. Because we keep seeing that little statue of him going around in San Francisco. So you know something's going to happen. But I'm just getting exhausted with this thing. <laughs> I liked it. <laughs> I liked it, but I was just kind of, wow, where where are we going and why? Why? It's bad both ways. Oh, and I got a question. Oh, I'll leave that for later. I got a head scratcher. Okay. Well, I got to say, I, I'm thumbs up uh, kind of for the same reasons as you, Sabrina. Um, you know, I like the, the fish out of water storyline. Like, this is not what we are accustomed to seeing. Uh, these characters have to deal with. So uh, from that point of view, I like the, I like the problem solving aspect of it uh, between all of them. Once they're able to link up and they're really working together. I mean, coming from prodigy where the whole theme of it is teamwork, you know, getting to see that on an adult show as well is, is a fun time. Uh, but also going back to what you were saying, the love aspect from episode one, I thought it was nice how uh, right away, like his first thought was, where is Laris in this, in this timeline? What is going on with her? And, you know, unfortunately uh, he did away with her, but, uh, but we at least, we at least see that uh, this, this Picard, the one that we are accustomed to, uh, she does have a soft spot in his heart. So I'm sure we'll be um, examining that further as the season goes on as well. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Library computer data being received. Okay. So some key points from this episode that 
stood out to all of you. So uh, let's see. Jamie went first. So, Mike, why don't you tackle this one first? The key points uh, and then why they stood out for you. So uh, the first thing I want to call out is just the production values of this episode. The the uh, redressing of the chateau, Picard's chateau, with the, the paintings uh, are amazing. And if you watch the ready room, you, you get a little bit of a deeper dive into, into that. And I was really excited to see all of that and, and see the details. I felt like walking into Picard's study was like walking into Lorca's little menagerie on discovery season one, uh, with all of the, the weapons on the wall. Uh, while I find the, the, I am not a skull person at all. Uh, I found those to be really fascinating and, uh, really well done. And, uh, yeah, it really pointed to a, a gruesome, gruesome man that the Picard in this universe uh, is. And uh, so that that was, you know, very disturbing on multiple levels uh, from from who we know. Uh, thankfully, we're not going to meet that particular Picard, hopefully. Uh, but uh, yeah, the, so that that really stuck out to me. The the redressing of the Kodak, not the Kodak, the Disney, sorry, the Disney Convention Center or Concert Hall. Concert Hall uh, for this episode was also amazing. Uh, I loved how dark and dreary the, um, what did they call it? The box or the the cube, right? The cube. Uh, Where uh, basically where they gathered everyone for the eradication day. And... uh, the redressing of that set from the previous episode, Starfleet Academy was just, I didn't, I didn't even recognize it until I watched the ready room and saw the, the two comparisons. So just an amazing work uh, on the production of this. Uh, two other things that I, you know, I, I said at the top of the show, I, I really liked Girardi in this and I, 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 I want to stick by that. I, I felt, I felt uh, compassion and empathy for her because of the whole thing about feeling out of place. And uh, I think I'll talk a little bit more about that later in the episode, but um, I thought that that was really kind of a touching, uh, touching character piece for her. And just also the way that she was bubbly again, uh, it felt very Tilly-like, which was another reason why I really liked her this episode. She reminded me a lot of Tilly and, um, so there was that. And then the other piece that I really liked is the Elnor Rafi. Um, I, I I don't know if it, I guess it's mother, son, but it's almost like big sister, little brother. Uh, but I really love their relationship and how they look out for each other. They compliment each other. She calls him kiddo and my dear and just all these terms of an affection. And, uh, and he's really eating this up, um, and and really, you know, going with it and he compliments her on her thoughts on strategy and everything. So I really like the dynamic, uh, between the two of them and I'll, I'll stop there to leave, uh, some space. I don't want to, I don't want to take Jamie's thoughts this week. So, (laughs) um, I'll stop there, uh, and, uh, jump in later on if there's something else. 
Yeah, I think we uh, I think we kind of touched on that just a little bit last week. The dynamic between um, Rafi and Elnor um, and Seven and Elnor, how he's kind of become the surrogate son for the two of them. Um, he replaces Rafi's actual son. Um, and then for Seven, he replaces um, what's his name? The one that nobody likes in real life, uh, Ichab. Yeah. Ichab, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I, I see that. So I'm going to call on Sabrina now and and make her go. <laughs> okay. So I like that- this. I can. I'll just you know. I'll introduce one and then let everyone else uh, push it forward. <laughs> Point a finger. What stood out for me in this episode was what we touched on a little earlier. It was the acting. And I thought the two that really stood out to me was, I, I'm sorry, I don't know who it is that's playing her, but the board queen, come on. Yeah, Annie, Annie Wershing. Okay. She, and, and, you know, another board queen, she's got a lot to live up to, but she just had that thing going on. I mean, I actually felt, sorry for her when i when i heard that she was going to get eradicated i was like the poor thing um she's she knows the time is off she but i don't trust her uh it, it's she did a great job and i please the people that are doing the special effects to have that body hanging from those cables go on i mean star trek is just putting it down everybody else just follow along okay mm-hmm. because this is the show i that was amazing and then the second performance that I really loved in this was John John Briones, who played um, Seven's husband. Because you just knew this guy was like, I don't know what's going on. You know, he's looking at his wife. He's looking at everybody. And finally, he's just going to pull the phaser. I said, yeah, all right. Mm-hmm. But I loved his whole vibe in this. He's he's not sure. You don't even know how they're yep. really married. You don't know what kind of marriage this is, just a title marriage or what. And this, this sanctimonious deer that they would call each other. But I, I loved his performance. I hope they keep him in this for a long time. Please let him go all the way through to like episode 10, 11, or 12, or whatever it is, because I'm loving him. And I realized like five minutes before we got on that that is Issa Briones' father. I did not realize mm-hmm. that. Okay, I'm the one that didn't know. I was one day old when I learned this. So <laughs> I... I really enjoyed those two performances. I, I, you know, everybody else, great as usual. And I I love this whole cast. I mean, I really like everybody in this cast. Even Gerardi never bothered me. I loved her in the first season and she's coming on strong in this one too. I mean, her explanation to the president's, what did she call him? The first Mr. First President, mother. Mr. First first Husband. 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 That was, that was it right there. I was like, Gerardi is on all cylinders, just going crazy. So I, just the performances were my total standout. And I, everything is said about the sets and all that. Yes, yes, and yes. But And also the costumes. Killer, killer. And okay, my favorite thing, the killer combat. Stop it. When they took that combat awesome. up and slit that guy's throat, I was like, okay, bring the violence. Let's go. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's interesting that uh, I mean, I guess not interesting. We did see a fair share of violence in season one, um, but you know, this is this is what streaming television is now. You know, 
people can go on and on all they want about this isn't Star Trek. This isn't Star Trek. Well, you know, Star Trek in the 90s and early 2000s was on network television. You're not going to get that on network television. But on streaming, you get stuff like Game of Thrones, you know, where it's high violence, high sex. And fortunately, Star Trek is keeping the sex side out of it, but they're definitely going in on the violent side. But I mean, you saw shades of that even on network television. So, you know, I'm just saying that at least in this season, the violence is equally distributed mm -hmm. among all races. Everybody's getting shot. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Wow. The whole cast up in this one. I was like, all right. Equal opportunity okay. violence. <laughs> I had a problem for season. I'm good. <laughs> I was going to say, Elnor's killing some white guys in this. <laughs> he everybody. Men, women, everybody was getting off. Yeah. We didn't see any children get off, which was good. Please. I don't know. That little kid, uh, the little Picard, I'm worried about him. But we know he's going to live. But. Mm. <laughs> and it's the other thread. Like, what the mother? What? I mean, what is going on? Okay, I'll stop. You know what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to have a year in review and have everybody on together so that we can piece up all the threads. <laughs> all right, Jamie, what about uh, points for you? Now, I, I definitely agreed with a lot of the points that I already mentioned. I really think that um, I, I love Girardi this season. Um, I think she's a lot stronger than last season. I mean, I didn't mind her last season, but I almost think they've kind of made her the comic relief character uh, of this season and her one-liners and her you know uh, things are just I, I really like how how they started her off but i really like the um the easter eggs once again in this episode um you know through the mirror darkly yesterday's enterprise um and then you know the, the whole skull sequence i i i thought it was cool i, I really did um, I know I'm stealing Dan's thunder cause he's not here, but I mean, Gul Dukat, general Martok director, Sarek, even, you know, the, the reference to general Cisco, you mm-hmm. know, that was another, another cool thing. Um, and then some of the little details too, that, that we kind of saw, um, I know it's like, they're almost like hinting, like it's a mirror universe, but it's not like, I like how it was the CSS as opposed to the ISS or the USS. Um, so it's kind of like almost showing it's, it's its own entity, like not necessarily mirror universe or the regular universe, but it's something different. Um, I really did enjoy as well that, you know, going back to this whole Laris thing, you know, which we kind of talked about in our previous episode, I really think that this is going to be the forefront, the driving force that drives Picard to do what he does this season is that love uh, for Laris or that sense of losing her. Um, and, and wanting to get her back. I feel like that's going to be his main motivation, his main driving force. So I like how they made that once again, very pronounced in the beginning where as soon as he was in this world, he didn't understand where he was. or didn't realize where he was. That was the first person he was looking for uh, was her. It wasn't uh, Beverly. It wasn't Beverly. Was not Crusher. Okay, and I got um, a problem with that. I'm gonna tell you that right now. I got a problem that it's not Beverly. So, okay, keep uh, going, guys. S- Sabrina was one of the ones that was pissed off last week. <laughs> yeah. Where's Beverly? But okay, that's the road not taken. Uh, yeah, 
Yeah, that, that very well, very well could be though. We got a prediction section, so we'll see how that plays out. But I like the reference to the time travel, you know, Kirk's enterprise for time travel. Um, but something else that I really, I, I saw a lot of comparisons. I know I talked about hunger games earlier and, and the comparison there. And I also talked about city on the edge of forever, but I really also saw a lot of comparisons to tapestry as well. Um, and what I mean by that is when you look, it's everybody else is affected other than the crew of the stargazer, you know, which really reminded me of tapestry because it, you know, it was like. Q being involved in something, he's the only one that can kind of create that bubble around a select few individuals. And that's why it's like, I really feel that he's the one that's kind of behind some of this issues with the timeline. Somehow he's making it so that that crew of the La Serena, that crew of the Stargazer is not affected um, by the changes in the timeline. But another thing that I kind of noticed too was I couldn't help but think of encounter at far point when I was watching this episode right in the beginning of encounter at far point, when Q is basically putting humans on trial and he's saying humans are a grievously savage child race. I couldn't help, but make comparisons to what we're seeing here in this mm. universe or this alternate take that maybe this is what Q is implying that certain things happened in the past and they continued down this path. And this is the exact type of people or type of human race that Q is describing. Um, so I, I really was like putting myself back in and encounter at far point when I was watching wow. this episode. That is deep. I did not pick up on that, but I like that. That's a, that's an awesome point. One other cried. thing. One other thing. One more. One more. Did, an, did anyone notice the Adam Soong statue prior to the eradication day ceremony? Yes. I with, mentioned with, it. Yes. <clears throat> oh, you did. Okay. I, sorry. I, I missed that. But him uttering the words, a safe galaxy is a human galaxy. I thought that uh, yep. was really cool. So. Yeah, no, I, to- I totally missed that. So. Well, I didn't mention the, what he was saying. I just mentioned that the statue was there and we needed that thread still hasn't been unraveled for us. Yet. Right. Right. You got to yes. really look closely to see that. Um, mm. So, yeah, the astute observers will pick up on that. And yes, you're right. Jamie. It's <laughs> And like you, Sabrina, watching it on one quarter speed. No, I just saw that it was Adam soon. Uh, that's yeah, yeah. all I saw. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I, I think that that deep thread there is really cool. I, I, you know, I thought this was interesting in the fact that Picard is essentially depicted here as a warlord, and that is not something that we would ever associate with him. So this, you know, like Jamie said, this is kind of, it kind of gives you the shades of what a mirror universe would be. But as we go on in the episode, we find that it's just, uh, they figure out it's a divergence in time. It's not actually... Uh, it's not an alternate universe. It's something was changed in their past that affected their future. And so now they've got to figure it out. Um, but, you know, like, like a card somewhere in their universe. You know? Right, right, right. But what's weird. And like Sabrina said too, it's like, where does his mother fit into all this? Because mm-hmm. it's almost like the easy answer would be, he lost his mother at a young age and that's what caused, you know, him to be this warlord type person. But it's, 
you know, all the signs are saying that that that's not what happened. You know? Right. That but he's a, that he's a product of his was, environment. Yeah. Who was dragging her away. Right. Right. Um, yes. I, I will mention for Dan that he is extremely hopeful that Eagle Moss and or fan sets produces some kind of set of uh, skulls. Of, <laughs> of these evil emperors <laughs> that would be cool that, that is what he was hoping for um uh, jamie mentioned the uh, general cisco uh call out uh vocally so uh i cannot take credit for this i saw it it might have been on trek core um on seven's um desk there uh, you see general o- general miles o'brien is uh referenced as is lieutenant colonel tasha yar uh as as leaders in this confederation um i really was interested like you mike in the uh the gerardi connection and how the borg queen keeps like looking at her and uh, what did she call her a delicate teacup something like that yeah 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 so that is going to be really interesting how that plays out. And, you know, uh, Jamie brought up about how she's she's almost playing the role of uh, what Tilly was on Discovery now. But at the same time, uh, you see that she's been a loner her whole life. Uh, she referenced it a little bit in the first episode. You know, her relationships hardly last at all. Um so I think we're going to see a whole lot more of her and unfortunately what this connection to the Borg queen is. Um, yeah. yeah. She's the one the Borg queen is the one that calls her out and says, you are out of place in any universe or something to that. Effect, right, essentially. right. You feel, yeah, you, you feel out of place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, that same thing, you know, Rios and her go at it while they're, while she's trying mm-hmm. to fix the communicator and get them all out of there. <laughs> they're going back and forth like a old married couple having at yep. each other, uh, which I thought was, uh, it was good really, stuff. Uh, yeah, it was good stuff. So, <laughs> uh, so, uh, the only other thing, well, I thought it was funny how, um, when Picard mentions to Raffi that seven is now the president, she's, she makes the comment, Oh, she's going to wear that one gracefully. Uh, <laughs> that's totally the thing that, uh, you know, a spouse and or significant other would say about the other, if they got placed in a, uh, in a position such as that. Um, and then I am really interested to see where this, uh, you know, we find out from the Borg Queen they need to go to LA year 2024, but she also says seek the watcher. You know, I'll find out who that watcher is. I think that is gonna be a huge piece of this whole puzzle. Yeah, that's interesting because it's LA and it's not San Francisco, which is where we thought we mm. were going with 2024 and the sanctuary district. So unless there's another sanctuary district. I don't know, you know, what's going on in LA. Yeah, it is this watcher. It seems like life just sucks. Well, they I mean, <laughs> they sort of they referenced Los Angeles in episode 1, if you remember a certain location uh was in hmm. Los Angeles. Oh, really? Uh, yes. That's where Guinan was, right? That's where Guinan's bar was. Oh, yes. okay. 
So I think that that's my thought that 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 might be related somehow. You got a Mike, dystopian Guinan? Oh my god. <laughs> Mike Thurlow dropping the knowledge on us. <laughs> I, I'm not the detail though, a detail guy though. You you and Sabrina obviously are. I did not pick up on the Sung statue. And uh, I think I probably saw the same thread you did for the like five minutes that I was on Twitter this week uh, mm -hmm. about the uh, Colonel, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Tasha Yar and General Miles O'Brien and those call outs. So, you know, it's one interesting thing that I want to bring up. And I know, you know, Sabrina, you were kind of talking about that it's Los Angeles. If you remember Deep Space Nine past tense, they went back to the year 2024. Although it is was San Francisco when they went back for the for the Bell riots, it is the same exact year. So I don't know if there might be a connection there between Are the Bell riots. Are we going to meet Gabriel Bell? We we don't know. I mean, that would be you know. We, I have we, another wild prediction about that. Sweet, but it's the I'll same prediction. It's, it's the same exact year. It's the so, same exact year. Same exact year. Nice. Well, if there's one thing we know, it's that these producers, uh, the current producers, are not afraid of tying in past Trek the way Berman and his crew were. Um, they will take any thread and pull at it to try and tie stuff in, which I think is great. I am here for that. Oh, yeah. I think the storytelling in in the times that we live in now are prime for that, you know, mm -hmm. that's, that's something that, you know, these, these arcs and these um, callbacks and things like that are, this is what this is all built for uh, the way that we watch TV now versus in the Berman era, era where there were right. 26 episodes and uh, you know, two or three shows going on almost simultaneously. Mm -hmm. um, it it's new storytelling with a taste of nostalgia. I, I like, yeah, and I why, like and it. why wouldn't you, when you have all the shows on your streaming channel, you wouldn't want, you want people to go back. Right. And look right. at them all. So of course you're going to drop all these Easter eggs and I, I'm loving it too. It's just, you know, you just sit there with a notebook, like ooh, 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 mm -hmm. I saw that. I saw it. I love well, it. you know, you know what else I forgot to mention? Um, Pat and Oswald as spot 73. Did you guys pick up on that? The the spot oh, character. Oh, I I Pat and Oswald. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that was. Oh, wow. Even even wow. my daughter, even my daughter, <laughs> she picked up on that. She's like, wait, wait, is that the fire chief from Brooklyn Nine Nine? I'm like, yes, it is. <laughs> Good call. And I, and it's awesome that they use Spot as the name too. You know, yeah. ref referencing to Data's cat as well. Yep. Another another little what Easter else? egg there. Spot seventy three. I love the little meow. <laughs> meow. Yeah. Meow. And Spot did not like uh, the magistrate at all. Nope. Nope. No. No. So and I don't know what's going on there. Should I program that, I guess? <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if it's going to tie in with any predictions for anybody, but I think we would be remiss in not mentioning. Uh, that Elnor is in a bad way at the end of this episode with a big hole yeah. in his chest. So we'll have to see what's Very happening. Very worried there. about that. Mm -hmm. Very worried about that. 
There was an audible gasp in our house when we watched it the first time. Um, not for me either. Uh, so Emily hates when they kill characters off. I mean, oh. hates it when um, when uh, Arium died in Discovery. She cried her eyes out, and I was like, "You've hardly known this character." She goes, "I don't care." She goes, I, I don't like losing these characters. So, wow. You know, the thing is, like, obviously, I- I'm bummed about Elnor as well, but there's a part of me that in the back of my mind is like, we're, we're dealing with a time travel, right? Fixing so, the past type thing. So, to me, it's like, it's going it to be easy for them to kill them off and then, yeah, oh, let's just hit the reset button. Right. Exactly. He's good. You know? Yep. And so, like, there's a part the- of me that's like, that's all that's going to happen at the end of the season. Going to make you the know. stakes higher for them to get this right. Mm-hmm. Not, not like they're not high enough already. It's like, okay, totalitarian society or yep. you know, auto-destruct. Which one you want? <laughs> well, and also they're going to 2024 where if he needs surgery or, you know, a blood transfusion, none of that is there. So, <laughs> you know, uh, it's, that yeah, is, that uh, is uh, he no, his no, card. Nobody, nobody has green blood type green B. Blood. <laughs> no, sir. Not where they're going. Well, we don't, we don't know. There were some Vulcans that went back to, you know, the oh, 1960s. They're gonna go to Carbon Creek and find that's, that guy. Yeah, that's true. come on, guys. There's, there's, there's some green blooded people out there, it, and I bet you we're gonna find some more green blooded people in this season of Picard. That's right. We, we did see that. Stuff. We no did see trailers. that in the trailer. So, never say never. Never. (laughs) We'd like to take a moment to talk about Fansets, the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Fansets is the home of amazing pin collectibles. The quality of the merchandise they put out is second to none. It's not just Star Trek that they offer, as they have something for all types of fandoms, including Scooby-Doo, DC Comics, Batman 66, Harry Potter, and Rick and Morty. As you all know, Fansets releases new pins twice a month, and we're really eagerly looking forward to their March 13 releases, where they give us many more fun new items. The micro crew is really the subject of this release from three different parts of the franchise. We have Luxana Troy coming from TNG and DS9. From Discovery, we have Adira. And from season three, um, uh, season from their season three stint in the Earth Defense Force. And finally, from Cetacean Ops on the USS Cerritos, we have Lieutenant JG Matt, the Beluga Whale from Lower Decks. And for those traveling to Mission Chicago next month, there will be three special pins released for the event. Keep an eye on fansets.com for those and over 400 officially licensed Star Trek pins, including the Delta's Done Right collection, as well as micro crew pins, episode pins, and many other great designs. So please go to fansets.com and put a whole bunch of pins in your cart. As a listener to the show, you can receive 10% off your next order from Fansets by using the code DiscoveringTrek at checkout. 
And remember that you receive free shipping in the U.S. on orders of $30 or more. Fan sets. Our pins have character. What has this episode taught us about humanity and ourselves? I am scared to ask the question on this one, but uh, I know (laughs) the overall message of this episode and Sabrina, I believe you get to go first on this one. The overall message is that it's a slippery slope and people will slide down it real fast. (laughs) Just like Jamie said, I got all kinds of vibes of uh, Farpoint Station, that court, you know, when they had the, uh, the first court scene and everybody was yelling and screaming at Picard. It looked just like that scene in when they went to the eradication day. It really brought oh, back yeah. that whole scene where they were screaming and screaming, Picard, Picard. It was very scary. And it's amazing how people in a kind of world of scarcity and want will just get vicious. And that seems to be what we have here. Now, you know, I kind of hearken back to, to our, our previous discussion. I, I really think loss is once again, a central theme here. You know, we, we once again, see that the loss of Laris, we see that really pronounced at the beginning of this episode. Now we're possibly dealing with the loss of Elnor and how that is going to affect the crew and how that's going to drive them to do um, what they need to do here. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of things centered around that board, that board queen, you know, she talks, talks about time being broken. Um, But what's interesting too, is Q for the first time that I've ever seen him in any episode of Star Trek really seems unstable. And I don't know if anybody else really kind of picked up on that. Um, but normally he seems like he's in control. He seems jolly. He always like he's playing around, but for some reason this time around, he seems angry and he seems like, mm-hmm. like he's emotionally unstable uh, with everything that's going on. So I don't know how this little fissure in time is affecting him and the Q continuum, but we, we don't know. Um but that was something that's really kind of sticking out to me too, is that, that he's really affected by what's going on here. Yeah. Picard actually even asks him, are you okay Q? Which is, you know, he doesn't normally show uh, care and concern for Q. So something must be really amiss for that to happen. And one other thing that, you know, Jamie, you were talking about a loss, even the board queen, she said the hive is gone. Mm. And, you know, she's, she's all alone as well. She's messed up. Yeah. Yeah. She's just like, you know, I got nothing else. So I gotta, I gotta go with you guys. Yeah. I don't know when she got hooked up to that machine. (laughs) That's not good. Yeah. I, I think too, besides the loss piece, I really want to know who this watcher is. I think that's really going to be this next transition for these next few episodes. going to be, who is the watcher? It could be Guinan, you know, with some, you know, some of that uh, um, special effects where the, maybe they make her younger looking mm-hmm. like she did in Next Generation. Maybe it's Soji, because once again, and like I mentioned in the previous episode, I- I'm trying to figure out how Soji fits 
yeah. if she's going to even fit into the season of Star Trek Picard. And the only thing I can think of is maybe she's this watcher somehow back in the past. How how she gets there, I don't know, but um, I, I'm really curious as to who that watcher is, whether it's Guinan or Soji or 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 Laris. You know, we saw mm-hmm. kind of little the traveler. Yeah, Laris. Oh back no! There. Don't take him back here. <laughs> <laughs> Get out the oven mitts. Yeah, but, I'm telling you that little that little parabola at the beginning of the credits when they have that little shape. I'm like, that looks awful familiar. I don't know. You know, Sabrina, I was wondering about that too. I was noticing that in in this week's uh, opening credits, and I, you know, it that parabola yeah. does turn into an hourglass, and inside of the hourglass, I don't know if you see you see it's the echoes of the Borg Queen, Borg Queen. Uh, which I hadn't noticed until today, actually, when I watched, or maybe uh, earlier this week when I watched it for the second time. But uh, now yeah. I'm gonna have to watch it. <laughs> But the the before yeah. just before that the this little thing this like, uh, let's just call it for lack of a better word a ship like with these lines coming right. out of it uh, heading towards this like this parabola this bubble whatever that uh, is really interesting and and we know that uh, we know that um, the credits kind of hide and, and explain a, a lot about what the season entails including the broken glass and the the rose on the glass, painted on the glass, uh, is part of it as well. So, right. and I don't know what that big, um, it's like the uh, the round shape that looks like a almost like a jigsaw puzzle. You know, there's a big cylindrical shape too. That I'm like, okay, what is that trying to tell me? Because it's major. I'll watch it again. There's a there's a shape that comes up, and it's sort of like I, I can't place where I've seen this before, but. Well, I think I think so you're talking familiar. about the dodecahedrons that split into two. That's from okay, the first season. That that, that 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 recommend dodecahedrons. What? I recognize that. That was knowledge on us. <laughs> you know, I don't know where I pulled that from, but uh, we'll, we'll call it some recesses. deep in the recesses. Um, but that I that's from season one, and that was sort of uh, how they cloned. Data's cells, I think, or something that was part oh, of uh, okay. how Soji and Dodge were okay, twins because okay. that was the two two dodecahedrons that were 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 made. That was from season one. Um, okay, I'm pretty so that's sure. Pretty so. big in the credits this year. This year, so I'm like, yeah, right, it's, it's, it's in there still. Yeah, so credits, so I, I have two. Key. Yeah, they do. Uh, I wish I wish they didn't have as many keys. Like I wish that. Um, you know, I think that we're going to possibly know who the watcher is from the credits before we actually see the watcher, which is really annoying. Um, discovery does, does this too, but, uh, I just, I wish that we would, you know, do the splash page at the end of the episode that says, you know, guest starring John Delancey or, you know, Whoopi Goldberg rather than putting them in the opening credits. But uh, just just to kind of keep that uh, suspense a little bit longer. Yeah. Uh, but for me, the, the two things that stand out for this episode, uh, the first thing is that for, for these characters and this crew, they're all in relationship with one another. Like we have Seven and Rafi, we have Picard and Laris, we have Rios and Girardi, 
Uh, we have uh, Rafi and Elnor and, and Seven and Elnor. There's this cast is just really tightly related and, and in relationship with one another. And I think that really stands out to me different from Discovery, even different from Lower Decks and Prodigy. Um, it's just, uh, we don't know about Strange New Worlds yet, but, um, you know, these characters, and more so than the Next Generation crew was in relationship with one another. They were kind of like work, work, um, work family, and this is more like deep relational family, family, like chosen family. Uh, and I love seeing that. And that actually, I think for me, that is one of the reasons why I am, I love Picard as a show, but I am absolutely loving this season of Picard because of the relationships uh, with one another. Uh, good and bad, you know, the, I think they, they're all in different phases of relationships and uh, and I like that. I think that that covers a wide spectrum of the audience. And, and I think the audience can find different characters to identify with depending on where they are in life. Uh, so I really love that. The other thing that I, I really, and I spoke to this a little bit earlier was, you know, Girardi feeling out of place. And, and maybe that's hitting me now as we're kind of what we hope is a post-COVID type world where we're kind of emerging again and and being more social and getting out and seeing people again i uh i really identified with um with girardi and just feeling somewhat out of place and i actually know that a lot of people do it's hard to to find you're you're different than when you went into this and uh we're all different coming out of this and i think that and i certainly am as well and uh I'm much more insular. I'm much more like a homebody. I'm, you know, Dennis and Hamish are my family. And, uh, you know, I don't reach out quite as much. And um, and I, I guess I'm really seeing that in Girardi and kind of feeling out of place when you're with, uh, you know, in other realms and other groups. And uh, I really appreciate that. I think that that is something that probably a lot of people can identify with right now, just feeling out of place. And... Uh, so I, I'm really also liking that. And I, again, I think that the, the writers are doing such a great job about creating identifiable character traits that we can really latch on to and, and love these characters for. So I, uh, I'm really enjoying that piece of it more than, you know, even more than the, um, all the Easter eggs and things like I, I actually got really emotional and, and excited, like just really, I don't know, just warm and fuzzy when, you know, Rafi calls uh, Elnor a kiddo and things like terms of endearment like that, like that just made me warm and fuzzy uh, versus, you know, seeing the Easter eggs. Like I, I loved the new painting uh, of the, Enter well, the Enterprise D, but it's not the Enterprise D, the whatever it is. The maybe. World Razor. The World Razor. Um, but I, you know, I just uh, really, I don't know. I, lo I totally lost the train on that. But anyway, my my thoughts have left me. Um, Sorry, man. <laughs> no, 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 no. Totally, uh, no. I think I lost it as you were saying that. But anyway, um, so yeah, that's that's what I think. That's this episode speaks to me about. Well, I'm going a lot darker. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so. This whole episode 
dealing with Picard learning what his, I guess, for lack of a better term, doppelganger is in this, in this timeline. Um, and then seeing what this regime is like, uh, the xenophobic overtones, it just reminded me of everything that we're dealing with in the world today and how, you know, up until, up until, you know, the beginning of last year, there will, there was someone in power in the country that was dealing, uh, not dealing, but, um, was putting out some of those same overtones just by the company that he kept. Um, and it is a very interesting parallel. And this, I only picked up on as we were all sitting here talking that, uh, confederation, the confederation of planets is very much like the Confederate States of America from the civil war. So, I mean, what are we, in for with what this timeline has created, you know, is we we've heard already the term uh, a safe. Uh, what is it? A safe galaxy is a human galaxy. Yeah. Um, so, I guess as a species, humans have gotten over their own differences, but now instead of having differences with one another, the differences are with other species of the galaxy. So it's going to be interesting, I think, to see how this plays out. But I think definitely we're seeing some of the real world stuff uh, being put into uh, sci-fi the way it always has been done with Star Trek. It, what's so weird though, Mike, is as you're saying that too, I can't help but think of, you know, the whole message of Star Trek, the whole message of the Federation is seek out and explore strange mm -hmm. new worlds and, you know, make peace with other life forms. This is like almost the complete opposite. The opposite. Yep. It's like, go seek out and destroy other mm -hmm. worlds. Yeah. It, it, it's like a completely contrasting message. Go out and conquer, go out and, you know, dominate and mm -hmm. eradicate eradicate yeah yeah very very Borg. completely opposite yeah. yeah like the borg mm -hmm. okay. wow they're not That's trying to assimilate they're going to eradicate mm -hmm. yeah was it in uh what oh no i'm sorry that's from the novels i was gonna say i thought there was i thought there was a section of voyager where where the Borg decided that assimilation was no longer good enough. They just had to destroy, but that's actually, that's actually part of the novel verse that, that the Borg uh -oh. decided no more, no more assimilation. We're just going to kill. That's all. Did, did anyone else notice too? Um, when you, when they were showing the shield around the earth in the beginning, how there were certain um, land masses that actually weren't protected. Mm -hmm. Did anybody kind of notice that as well? Like I, I thought that was kind of interesting. Like almost certain parts of the world were unprotected, you know, leading me to believe is that where, you know, some of the alien population was harboring or, mm. you know, or that mm. it was so bad that they couldn't protect it. It was yeah, only, like no man's land. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of thought of that maybe as it took so much power to generate whatever that shield is that, 
if that side wasn't pointed toward the sun, they didn't shield it. Um, because Q, I think Q was the one who said that, you know, your the the humans from your timeline fixed all of these problems and the these humans were just okay with the way things were going yeah you just do what do you say you're just keeping the corpse alive yes thank you thank you yeah we, we really didn't touch we touched on q just a little bit but the opening minutes of this episode were all oh my and- god you and Picard, yeah. and uh, I, you know, I've, I don't think I've ever seen Picard so angry uh, with Q, and then uh, just just the way that they're and vice versa, to, yep. yeah, just the way they're talking to one another. Uh, it's uh, you know, it's almost like Q's talking to a petulant child. Uh, called him, yeah. Where well, I mean, he slaps him, you know, so mm-hmm. which he's never never done, yeah. Uh, it, it, and it's weird language. too, Mike, because you think of like how their relationship was in the first season. It was very similar. There was a lot of anger there. But as it got towards the later seasons of TNG, it was like you had tapestry where, yeah, Picard was annoyed with him. Right. He was a nuisance. He was a nuisance, right. but it was like, and then when you get to all good things, like it, you almost saw like there was like a friendship there almost mm. where it was like, you know, Q helped him save the universe. And right you know and and like in ta- like i said like in tapestry where you know q basically showed him you know the, the the correct path that he needed to choose there so it was like their their relationship had kind of evolved and now it's like almost like back to the beginning where the beginning mm-hmm. it was it was like where they're they're just at each other's throats almost well he said well, i just i just looked for the nearest explosion to find you yeah yeah <laughs> blowing something up Starfleet Command is proud to present you the Christopher Pike Medal of Valor. Well, save all of your Q thoughts, because as we now transition into our medals round um, <laughs> or our awards round, and I get to go first on this one. Uh, well, all right. I-, I need to do a mea culpa here for a minute, because uh, last week I caught a bunch of flack from um the other two males on this podcast about my uh about my attention to detail with who was doing uh costuming and production design and if they only knew that i totally screwed up who those people were (laughs) that's great so serves serves you right mike (laughs) So I want to give some credit where credit is due. So the production designer for Picard, who has been friggin' awesome, is Dave Blass. And that guy has been a monster on Twitter, giving us behind the scenes stuff for season two. Um, So I need to rectify the fact that I didn't call him out last week because he is the man. I want to see if we can get him on this show because Ooh, that would be super. Oh man. Awesome. And costume designer is Christine. I don't know how to say her name. Uh, Bislin Clark. Uh, she designed the awesome Starfleet uniforms that we talked about a lot last week. Uh, but Mia Copa, I-, I screwed up. Those are the names, Jamie and Mike. You were right in giving me flack just for the wrong reasons. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now going forward, uh, we just talked a bunch about Q, 
my first medal has to, or award or whatever it is that we're calling this section has to go to John Delancey. I mean, this guy has not played Q in 20 years because I can hardly count the two or three lines that he had in lower decks. Um, and my goodness, you would think that he hasn't stopped playing this guy. Just the, I mean, he was so on point with, like we just were talking about, the back and forth with Picard. It was like they had never stopped. It was like it was 1994 again, except they were both a whole lot older. Um, just totally, totally like out of this world. And uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a little bit of uh, name dropping, a little bit of dropping. Uh, but uh, one of the things when I got to do the press junket for Picard, I got to ask a question to John Delancey, and I asked him, you know, was it hard? getting back into character after 20 years. And one of the things that he said was it was almost too easy. <laughs> you know, it was like, it was like, uh, you know, putting on that old comfy blanket. Like it just came right back to him. He said, you know, the snap of the fingers was something that he had come up with. Cause that was how he would get his kids attention uh, back in the day. So he's like, you know, it just came right back to me. So great so happy that he's back playing this character because you know like we just talked about he hit it out of the park in this episode uh my second uh award goes to uh annie wershing the board queen we talked about her a little bit her portrayal man i have these words written down here she was chillingly elegant like when when her brain wasn't all messed up from the temporal change, she had this elegance about her. Like when she spotted Seven and identified who she was, like you almost sensed like this regality of her from her. But at the same time, like you still had that fear of who she was, knowing what she was. She pulled the part off awesome. Um, and then finally, I know we've also talked about um, Gerardi and Allison Pill. Just again, another uh, another great performance from her here. Um, because if there was ever a fish out of water, she always seems to be the fish out of water, like the board queen said, no matter where she is. Um, but the comedic quality of what she did in this episode, I thought was very welcome considering the subject matter that this episode dealt with. All right, Sabrina, I'll choose you to go next. Okay. Metal round. I am going to go back to just what I uh, already mentioned. Um, first one I'm going to give it out to is, is John John Leonis because he managed to insert himself. Like we said, this is a very tight cast and they've been together for one season already. And he was stepping with seven right with it. He was he was in those scenes. And, you know, you knew not to forget that he was standing there next to her. And you better watch out what you're saying. I loved his delivery. I loved the faces he was making. You understood that he knew something was wrong. I, I mean, I just loved his performance altogether. I love his character. And I want to know more about him. That's the thing. I want to know more about this guy. I don't feel that he's just... Uh, 
you know, the bad guy. He, I don't know whether he loves Seven or, you know, I, I, I'm not, I don't know what to make of him. I want to know more. Um, I, I have to give it to Sir Patrick Stewart because I am telling you, this man can make so much of a look of a, of a, a inflection of, you know, when even when he just asked you if he was all right, are you all, you know, it was just like the man is going to get slapped. He'd already been slapped. I couldn't remember where the slap came. His complete, absolute confusion and his disgust with it, everything. I, I just loved his performance. And I just want to say he's the only person I know that looks good in one of those Bolero hats. Work it, work <laughs> it, Patrick. I saw all that and was loving it. And let's um, let's just give some attention to Q. I'm too old for your BS because that was a fantastic line from this episode. Yes, yes. I mean, I mean, Sir Patrick is just—he's just everything. I love watching him in every single scene, and even when he was being like the really hateful person, you know, he just turned it right on. You know, just like he could just snap off those orders. And then I think my third medal is going to go to the um, costume design. They, that is incredible. The costumes were on point and they gave so much to the characterization. So the costumes really gave a lot to those characters. And I think um, when they put them on, you know, I, I love Seven's presidential suit. You know, it was so, it was so, you know, Hillary Clinton, not. It was just so powerful and that gray. I, I loved everything about that. And I, I loved uh, Soji's outfit in the first season, the first episode. All the costumes are just amazing. And I, I'm just, I know it's not Gersha and I love Gersha, but this woman is, she is the bomb. I, I, I take my hat off to all of them because it just, it looks futuristic. I can't wait to see what they're going to do when they go back to 2024. And they're going to be doing today but I want to see how they're going to make it look different because I know they're going to make it look different. Those are my three. Picard, um, the first husband, <laughs> and the costume designer. <laughs> oh, I love it, the first husband. The first husband. He's my guy. I, I want more. All right, Blake, how about you? Well, you sort of stole my first one with um, the production designer, Dave Glass, uh, or Dave Blass, sorry. Uh, I thought that the work that he did with the Disney concert hall and changing out uh, from the episode one to episode two and how so different they were that I didn't even know, uh, notice that it was the same set totally makes sense from a, from a, you know, money and, and production standpoint to just be able to dress one set one way and then take it down and do it up for the next episode. So great job to him. Uh, my second one goes to Jeffrey Lombardi, who's the property manager, and he he uh, really outdid himself with the, the painting, coordinating the paintings uh, from this episode, uh, the phasers. I mean, you know, I got most of this from the ready room, but I, I was just these are all the things that I noticed watching the episode. So it's great to say, hey, this guy did it. And, he, you know, he 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 calls out who helped him with it. So uh, Neville Page is a, is a creature designer on Picard. He uh, designed the skulls along with Vincent Van Dyke. So uh, that whole team really knocked it out of the park for me and made me feel like 
this is a different world. Uh, this is a, you know, this is a very familiar setting, the Ch Picard Chateau, but also it's very different. And um, so I, I want to give a huge shout out to that team. Listen to uh, Mike dropping names here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I paused the, the ready room so many times to make sure I got these names right. Uh, and uh, I think finally, I, you know, I, I have two acting awards. I mean, Jerry Ryan killed it in this episode. Uh, totally. Everything about her performance was amazing and uh, very believable. And especially when she snapped at the magistrate, her husband, and said, how dare you? Like, I mean, that was that, you know, that put put him right in his place. But it also made me think, whoa, like there's some dynamic there, even though this is not the the Annika Hansen from this universe. It is uh, she's really channeling uh, that. And the other acting award uh, definitely goes to Allison Pill for me. Uh, that speech where she says, uh, Mr. First Husband, uh, you know, that's like 45 seconds or a minute long, like diatribe. And, you know, I don't know how many takes she took to, to do it, but it is a work of art uh, to tell that, to make up that story and do all those laughs and, you know, you know, Annika seven shot Hanson and all of, you know, all of these things just, you know, riffing on that. And then she ends it. Gosh, how did she end it? I, I forget. Um, and as you were. And that was, I was just amazed. I, 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 I actually rewinded and watched that, that speech again. I was just so impressed with it. So a huge shout out to her for, for doing that. Cause that is no easy feat. Uh, and uh, she did it amazingly. So those are my three, three ish awards. I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right, Jamie, go ahead. Oh, the joys of going last. Everything's taken. <laughs> no, I, I was going to say, um, I love the costume design and set design as well, you know, especially for this mirror ish type, you know, setting here. Um, but I want to give a special shout out to the lighting director as well. Don't know his name, um, but just how they, how they lit the episode. And Boo, doesn't know his name. Oh my goodness. Uh, uh, Mike, you got to, you got to train him how to do homework. Well, at least I'm not saying the wrong name. So I mean, <laughs> nice, good one, Jamie. It's, it's, it's better. Good. It's better to not know the name than to say the wrong name. That's ouch, um, ouch. Uh, so special, special uh, out to the lighting director. Um, and same, same as you, Mike. Um, Allison Pill, I thought was great. Um, and same as you, Sabrina Annie Wershing, uh, as the board queen. I, I loved her in the show Timeless. And I, I just think that she's incredible in this show as well. Um, just how she can, you know, I think she's a phenomenal actress. So um, shout out to her. And she was also in enterprise too. Um, I can't remember the name of the episode, but it's the one where um, that Renee Aubergenois was in as well. I think it's a season one episode. Um, she was his daughter. So, wow. but yeah, she, she played a, dark dark character and timeless i mean if anybody's seen that show but oh 
she did such timeless a timeless was my show i didn't connect the dots on that thank you for telling me the timeless was the show yeah i know exactly yeah she, she, she was, was bad yeah beautiful and bad yes <laughs> that's, that's all yes. that's all i'm gonna say but, you know she's just a phenomenal actress and um I, I was really, you know, it's funny because when I found out that she was going to be on Picard and I was bored queen, I was kind of a little skeptical, like, cause all I was picturing was her and timeless. And then mm-hmm. now seeing her, I was like, wow, this, this girl's got some acting chops that she can just, I didn't recognize her. Get, How about get, that? And I right love this character. Oh, yeah. Okay. Please specify how you would like to proceed, sir. All right, Sabrina. So last week we started a new tradition and it was really because uh, Tamia is not the uh, predictions are not her favorite thing. So we had her go first, but keeping with that tradition, we let, we'll let the sci-fi sister go first in uh, the predictions round. So what are your predictions, Sabrina? Oh, you go, you know, I had the crazy ones last time, right? Like oh, That's fine. I can make up some stuff. I have a very fertile mind. <laughs> My prediction still, I'm going with the soon thing. I think, I think that we're going to find um, Adam Sung in the Sanctuary District. He's going to be a bum in the Sanctuary Ooh. District. And Q is going to pull him out of there and give him the smart water because he's too smart. He's too smart. All of his people for all their lives, they're too smart. They always think of things that no one else ever can do again. There's got to be some Q magic in there. And I still think that blue capsule is some Q smart water. He's going to give it to Adam. He's in the sanctuary city. And I, that's my prediction. I hope that comes true. Cause I really want to see Brent Spiner play a bum. I think he's got <laughs> some issues. I think yeah. he's going to have some issues. <laughs> All right, JB, how about you? What do you got for a prediction? Yeah, mine are kind of boring and I kind of already alluded to them, but um, I, I obviously, you know, we keep talking about the loss of Laris. I, I do think Picard's going to end up with her at the end of this season. So I'm going to go with that. I do think that Eleanor is going to die. I think he's going to die in the next episode. Um, and once again, I think it's going to be just a nice, easy reset at the end of the, the end of the season. They're going to bring him back. Um, so those are kind of my, you know, my two things. And, you know, once again, I'm always wondering who the watcher is. Uh, I'm leaning towards Guinan. That's kind of who I'm thinking that watcher is going to be, but you know, my, my horse that's close behind is Soji somehow, somehow Soji is going to be there. Don't know how, but, uh, those are my predictions. Okay. Mike. I mean, my, I, yeah, I, I want to echo Jamie's prediction. I, I think that, unfortunately, watching the episode today, I um, I think that uh, we're going to lose Elnor, which is going to crush me. Uh, and it's I think it's going to crush Rafi even more. Uh, I think that Rafi is going to really have a hard, hard time with that. And uh, so that's, that's one of my predictions. Um, you know, we talked off camera last week about one of your predictions mike and uh, i've been giving that a lot of thought and go ahead you can talk about it um based upon what we talked about last week I, i'm wondering if the borg queen is not girardi um 
based upon uh, what we talked to, you know, a little bit, but I think the, the two things that stand out for me are the Picard calling it, calling through the, the intercom Picard rather than John Luke. So that kind of takes away my prediction from last week that it was, uh, it's his mom. That's the Borg queen. And uh, I also think that the, uh, the other piece is that she was able to unravel what the message was so easily and so quickly that I think that it makes sense for her to be the Borg queen and to be sending that message because she knew that her, that the other persona or whatever, you know, your alternate universe self is, uh, would recognize it. So uh, I'm going to go with that. I'm also going to go with, uh, and I don't think that we're going to have a clean wrap up to this season. I think that we're going to have a best of both worlds type finale and that we're, that we're really looking at season two being not one season, but it's going to, uh, sorry, not being a separate season, but a continuation uh, into season three. And uh, we may have some things resolved, but I think that we're looking at a 20 episode season two ish I uh, totally agree with you because I, I really hope you're wrong because I don't want to wait. <laughs> no, no I know, right? <laughs> but to your point, I hate to bring this franchise into it, but it almost feels like this season's going to be Empire Strikes Back, where yes. there's going to be a ton, a ton <laughs> yes. of loose things at the yeah. end, and our characters are going to be in a bad, bad place, and it's going to get wrapped up in season three. It's going to be yeah. all is lost. Yeah, and we and we know. Actually, I have one other prediction too um, that I'll get to in a second. But I, I think that you know, there's you know, John Delancey being in season three as well. I think that whatever's going on with Q is uh, is uh, going to continue through. You know, going to be the bridge between these two seasons. Uh, but my feeling is that uh, Q is teaching Picard how to love. And to express that love and to embrace that love. And that's the lesson that Q is trying to impart to him. And by doing so, I think that the, whatever, the second half of our extremely large season two is going to be Picard somehow going into the Q continuum or saving Q. I think that what Q is doing is he's helping Picard know to fight for something and he's going to give him this great gift um you know almost a la you know voyager when uh Kess gives the gift of you know ten thousand light years uh to voyager something so big and so grand uh that he's going to give laris back to him or whatever in the hopes that picard will somehow save him and maybe possibly the greater q continuum but i think that there's a, a bigger lesson here that or a bigger reason that Q is going is pressing this lesson so hard uh, on on Picard. Nice. Hmm. And mic drop. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Mike topped me with craziness this week. <laughs> I like it though. Well, we did we did talk off camera about uh, about the um, Girati Borg Queen thing because we had all uh, done the. Um, the premiere party so we got to see episodes one and two so we didn't want i had that thought after seeing episode two there and i didn't want to talk about it on camera because not everyone got to see that so um 
But yeah, we didn't, we didn't even get to see it on the cruise. We were very upset that we didn't get to. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of nuts. But eh, it is what it is. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you know, at least you had new Picard to watch this week. So yeah. this is sort of a repeat week for us, and so the newness. Mm. Next week we get the finale of Discovery and a new episode of Picard. Which is I can't wait for that Discovery of... one. Hey, Discovery was picking up there. Yeah, I was yeah like, it was. It was. Ooh. All right. You're not messing around now. Here we go. All right. So my predictions, I have two. Uh, my first one uh, kind of ties in with something that you had said earlier in the show, Sabrina, was that uh, the first husband uh, is going to be, I think he's going to go back in time with them. We know they have to go back in time. He's now on the ship. Um, oh, I, th- yeah. I think he's going to end up with them somehow. Um, I have no basis for that, except that they need to go back in time and he's on the ship. Um, so that's thought number one. Number two actually kind of correlates uh, with what everyone was just talking about with this season two, season three connection. And I wasn't think of it, thinking of it in this way, but maybe it is. You know, I was thinking about um, how Back to the Future 2 was, where there was that one thing that happened where old Biff brought the sports almanac back to himself and it created that alternate timeline. And they had to go back and fix it because the the real timeline that they had gone back to was all screwed up. Screwed up. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like that's a little bit of what's happening here. And they got to go back in time to try and fix it. And I think that they think they fix it. They go back to their time and something is still screwed up and they have to double back. Oh, I bet I am a thousand percent off, but so- so almost like uh, almost like Tim Burton's uh, Planet of the Apes, or yeah, yeah he goes there you back, go. he goes back, and, and you know Abraham Lincoln's an ape, right, right, and there's yeah. no resolution, really wrong, damn dirty apes. That that would be a good way to end season two. Oh yeah, you know yeah. they go back and there's something totally egregious wrong with. Mm. Oh. Well, I guess we will. Oh, go ahead. No, I said, yeah, we have to remember that they don't have all this. Mars never happened in this one. Yeah. In in this timeline. So all the Harveys are there. So I know something's going to happen with that, too. Mm. So how could Soji be? Mm. Maybe she was the first Zoom type android. I'm telling you, it's a smart water. Yeah. <laughs> it's coming up. It's coming up. <laughs> well, I guess we will all figure this out because next week, after beaming to the La Serena with the Borg Queen, the crew needs to figure out how to get to Los Angeles 2024 and how are they going to find out who the Watcher is. Episode three is entitled Assimilation, and we'll be covering it here for you on Discovering Trek Picard. And don't forget that you can support Discovering Trek and the Trek Geeks podcast network by subscribing to bonus content on Patreon. Get access to unedited audio of all our podcasts and a lot of other awesome perks. So if you'd like to support this, 
and the other member podcasts of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network, beam on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks, where subscriptions start as low as $2 a month. For more great Star Trek discussion, check out the aforementioned member podcasts on the network. In addition to Discovering Trek, there is Trek Geeks, the original, Rewind, Polytrex, Five-Year Mission, Deep Space Pride, Drawn to Trek, Infinite Trek, The Divine Treasury, Sci-Fi Sisters, Science Station 2, and With the First Link. You can find all these shows and where to listen on trekgeeks.com slash listen or by downloading the Trek Geeks mobile app. The Trek Geeks podcast network. No one talks Trek like we do. So what's going to happen with Elnor? Who's the watcher and what's going to happen now that the Borg Queen is on board? Well, we have all of that to look forward to, but don't you worry we will be covering it here. So make sure you tune back in next week to close. I'm going to quote Jean-Luc Picard from the episode broken pieces. The past is written, but the future is left for us to write until next time. Never stop discovering music for discovering Trek is provided by five year mission. They're writing an original song for each episode of star Trek. Hear more of their music at fiveyearmission.net. Discovering Trek is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producers Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. For more great Star Trek discussion, discover the other shows of the Trek Geeks podcast network at trekgeeks.com or find us in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app.